When Steve and Misty Arterburn married, they brought children into the newly formed blended family. But Steve says they wanted to make sure that the children knew what their relationship with their new mom and dad was all about. We did not want to be step-parents. Step-parents get get stepped on. So we wanted to be a bonus into their life. So we, we claim ourselves as bonus parents and kind of come at it as a benevolent aunt or uncle would in the very beginning and earn their respect and ask, you know, permission really to be in their lives. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey. I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear from Steve and Misty Arterburn today about some of the things they learned as they blended a family together, some of the challenges they faced along the way. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. We're going to tackle a subject today that can be a little difficult to navigate. Our listeners know that we urge couples to uh, to keep their covenant, to stay married. Sometimes couples, for reasons that are beyond themselves, their marriages don't survive, and that puts them in a position to go, okay, what do I do now? We've got some friends who are going to help have that conversation with us today. We do. Uh, Steve and Misty Arterburn join us on Family Life today. Misty, Steve, welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you so Great much. to be here. You, uh, you guys both experienced divorce separately and then began to date mm-hmm. and ultimately got married. The thing that um, really resonates with Bob and me is that you brought your church into your relationship right. to bring a sense of biblical judgment and mm-hmm. and sound advice and counsel as you established this relationship. Well, and as you guys start to talk about this, we should acknowledge as well that our friend Ron Deal is joining us today. I wasn't ignoring him. <laughs> I know you weren't, <laughs> but I wanted our listeners to know he's in the studio with us. Ron gives leadership to the Blended Family Initiative here at Family Life, and we thought this is a conversation you need to uh, be in on with us. Yeah, nice gl- to have you here. Glad to be here. Yeah. Certainly glad to be with the Arter. Yeah, we hope we represent a smart step family for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well Thank said. You. Well Thank said. Yeah. I think you do. Yeah. No, we, we really did from the beginning uh, work with our pastors on overcoming some obstacles. Both of us felt like we met the biblical criteria for divorce and for remarriage, and uh, and that was kind of the foundation first. Hmm. We had a lot of people speaking into our lives. Mm-hmm. We invited a lot of people into our relationship, but also each of our own individual healing paths that we were on. Uh, when you start dating someone, you don't know if this is going to end up in a marriage. So the main goal was just for me to continue being healthy and healing and growing and uh, raising my boys to be healthy and strong and, and healing as well. And Steve was on a path like that. Well, here's the way I I think about the kind of situation both of you were in. Uh, I follow pro sports, and I know sometimes a guy will sustain an injury that knocks him out for the season. Yeah. He's got to go to the doctors. He's got to get bones reset. He's got a lot of work got to happen. There's some rehab that's got to happen. And the doctors want to make sure that before they even think about him being back in the game, right. he's not going to tear something yes. fresh. Right. So w- when your first marriage is ended— you were where all people are in that moment. You were hurting and out of the game for a while. Mm-hmm. What was the process of beginning 
rehab and realignment for you like during those first few months after the divorce happened? Well, it was a bit like walking off of a cliff. I mean, I didn't know if I'd survive it either. And I cried every day for about four years (laughs) during the process and after the divorce. A lot of pain, a lot of pain. So, Uh, I had a mentor, a a female mentor in the church, and we met regularly. And she just not only covered me in prayer, but just gave me daily practical advice and encouragement. Um, The elders of my church were involved. They were looking out for me. I, uh, I went two cycles through the divorce care recovery material, which was phenomenal and very, very healing. And I just got into a community of people that are everybody healing. And we're all looking at our wounds and we're getting input and we're humbling down. And truly, and it, it was a time when actually spiritually, it was, it's really precious time in my life. You know, going through it, it was horrific. But it is a treasure to me now. I lived in the Psalms, and I, I just prayed those prayers, and, and I had experienced God in a, in a new way. I couldn't know Him as a comforter at the level that I met Him during that very, very dark season. Um, so those were some of the things I did. Yeah, and when I uh, met uh, Misty, uh, you know, I just met her one time, and I didn't ever talk with her for a long time after that. But uh, as we did get to know each other a year or so later, uh, I was so impressed by her connection in church and, and with her pastors and mentors. We swapped counselors before we decided we could get married. But for me, you know, I was surrounded by all these the best Christian counselors like Henry Cloud, John Towns, and all these other folks. And then I went to see a counselor. I had a, an assistant who said, uh, by the way, you need to get some help. You mm. look really bad. And I did. It was, it was the <laughs> darkest time of my life, mm-hmm. the pain. And I discovered something so strange that my pain was fear. Mm. I just never associated fear and pain. I just thought fear was mm. anxiety, fear, but it was it was so painful. Mm. And so I went to see this guy, Milan Yurkovich, who wrote a book called How We Love. And he said to me, I'm going to help you get your life back. Mm. And I just burst into tears because I didn't have a life. And I would say my life was absolutely, totally, completely black for six months before I could even see any ray of hope or sunshine. And so it's been a very, very difficult process. And uh, I I would want to just say this as a disclaimer that we have, we've been married uh, almost 13 years, but we're we're not a, a poster child for remarriage. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And I was so fortunate to meet her, and she wasn't desperate. She decided to marry me. Desperation didn't decide mm-hmm. to marry me. And so often, it's desperation that's making that decision. You know, I'm sitting here listening to them talk, guys. And um, Dennis, I just got to say, we're hearing from them how it should be. I mean, they did it right. Misty, I wrote down, you said you, you were dedicated to healing. You were walking with God. You threw yourself into a community. Uh, Steve, you got counsel, multiple counsel. You, mm-hmm. you know, allowed others to speak into your life. It was dark. You endured the darkness. You know, I think one of the big mistakes people make is they run from their pain oh, yeah. and they run into a new relationship because that makes you feel good. And so then that sets you up for making poor decisions. But you endured the pain. You, you, you listened to God. You, you sought him in it. You, and still, even then, 
It doesn't necessarily make make you the poster child for an easy transition into a step family life, right? And that's the thing that I would want our listeners to catch is that even when we do this the right way and you seek God in it, it doesn't just necessarily turn on all the lights in your life and everything is perfect, but there is a better way to go through the process and a way that makes things even harder. You both have uh, five children. Right. Misty, you brought two children in. Steve, you one, and then you've had two together. Right. What did your children that you had prior to your marriage together, what did they think when you started dating? Hmm. Well, we, we waited quite a while before we introduced each other um, because we don't, we don't want to introduce our children to people that they may attach to and then not stick around. Not a good so thing. So we were very, very careful about that. And once we did start to think that we were going to be together long term, then we just gently <laughs> introduced just very baby steps. And because you kind of have to test things out, it's just very messy. They have been through trauma, loss, they're having to go from one home to another. We're all there is a train wreck, and we're all healing at different levels. We're all facing different challenges. They're at different ages. So we were really careful about introducing one another. And, and so often when people get married, they're all excited about getting married, and the kids view it as a hostile takeover. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want any part of it. Or and, they may idealize yeah, that, yeah. oh, this is going to be great, this mm-hmm. new person mm-hmm. coming in. And that doesn't happen a and lot. And I wonder, I wonder, too, if maybe the parent is hoping that the child yes. will help make the selection Sure. of a new yeah. spouse for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the often the child, especially the younger child, children, they're wanting to cling on to anything that looks yeah. like right. something Stay more than what they have. Yeah. And you really have to avoid that. She and I had the luxury of, we didn't date at first. We emailed each other for probably six months. Then finally, I called her and we talked on the phone for several months before we ever even had a date. So we really knew each other very well. Then we went quite a while before we entered in. But to answer your question about like my daughter, what she felt about Misty was, hey, she comes to my soccer games. And at that time, mm-hmm. soccer was everything. Not only comes, but she yells. She's <laughs> engaged and she plays volleyball with me outside and she takes me on trips and so uh, both of us came at this we did not want to be step parents we wanted to be a bonus to that so we we claim ourselves as bonus parents step parents get get stepped on so we wanted to be a bonus into their life and kind of come at it as a benevolent aunt or uncle would in the very beginning and earn their respect and ask you know, permission really mm-hmm. to be in their lives versus, hey, I'm going to marry your mother or your father. You will respect me. I will be the disciplinarian. That is the absolute worst mm-hmm. scenario. And as you know, Ron, it's so common. Yeah. I, I want to pull back from the parenting angle for just a second and go back to your relationship with okay. one another. Um, what was the gap for you, Misty, between when the divorce was final and when you started dating again? How long? I can't remember. I think it was close to a year, um, somewhere in there. I, in fact, I, the moment I took my ring off, I started getting requests, hmm. and my mentor suggested, "Why don't you put one of those purity rings on your finger and just keep the flies away?" She said, <laughs> <laughs> and but that was really 
wise hmm. counsel, and I did it. And I had several months just to focus on myself, and my, and I did. I made I made mistakes. I don't want it to sound like oh, I did it right. Dating was kind of messy, and and you do. You're just your your heart is gaping open, and hmm. it just takes time to heal. But uh, but I had so much support. And and Steve, how long for you from the time? You were divorced and you started yeah. dating. It was about a year. Right. And I had this, I had to make this commitment to John Townsend and Henry Cloud that I would not marry the first person that was nice to me <laughs> because they knew I was hurting and they, they felt like uh, I could just fall into a trap. So they said, you must commit to date 20 people. Before you ever decide that you found, what did you think when you first heard them say that? Oh, okay. Let's see that. That ought to, that ought to take me about five years yeah. to do that. But yeah, because you had a life with yeah. with your children. Yeah, yeah, I did. And did you do it? I did and, absolutely. And looking back, was there wisdom in that? Oh, it was so smart. And of course, I've recommended it to other people. And uh, it was Misty was the third person I I went out with. And she had to wait she, through seventeen more. Well, you know, and I was not a fan of that season. No. Yeah. But she, she said, "I don't want to be a part of it." So I'm I did. I stepped out and I said, "I know you've got to do what you've got to do, mm-hmm. and I can't be a part of that." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to hang back. You go do what you got to do, and we'll see. But what there. it did, and it will do for anybody, is I, I have no question that there is nobody out there that would ever be better for me. Mm-hmm. I, I resolved all that. Mm-hmm. I didn't rush into anything. And it provided some security for me where I could fully, fully commit and not have one question mark in the back of my mind. And to add to that, it's not 20 romantic relationships. No, no, no. It was no. 20 dates, meet 20 different people, just interact, get get yourself having conversations again. And, that and, didn't include like a speed dating night where you got like <laughs> seven out of the way, no, was no, it? No, but don't tell John. Henry, but it did include standing next to somebody in Starbucks and saying, hey, how you doing all that? So uh, it wasn't a full 20... 60-second rule. Yeah, it wasn't 20 dinners. You know? you know, the brilliance to me of that little strategy is, I don't think there's anything special about the number 20. The point is, when you were going on 1, 2, 5, 10, 15, you told yourself, this is not going to be the one. I'm not throwing all of myself in my eggs no. into that basket. I have to have some discipline to measure how much I invest in this person in this relationship because there's some other things that I have to do. To me, the brilliance of that is that you restrained, you know, whatever was going on inside you. If pain is pushing you towards this dating, then you yeah. have to restrain that. You have to talk that part of yourself down. You have to give it to God and 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 handle this in a mature fashion. And and that's just the subtle little piece that says no, I'm I'm not diving into the deep end with with blinders on. No. And and it provided time to do that exercise provided time. And here was the thing, uh Misty is uh, absolutely beautiful and uh, has a great smile and that's what I was attracted to first time that I met her. Then, and so I kind of a year later thought that'd be great if we had a date. Then when we dated, there was this wisdom She'd been in recovery for all these years. Mm. She had been in a process, and I was blown away by what was inside. So all these other people would just be 
other people, and I had something to compare them to, and it just, there was never any question. But again, when somebody goes and and marries, well, you know this, they have an affair with somebody and they marry the person they have the affair mm-hmm. with, I mean, it is just a disaster, disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. And what I want to affirm that something that both of you did was you went outside and invited wise counselors Absolutely. into your lives to to give you coaching uh, and advice. Mm-hmm. A number of years ago, Barbara and I had a relationship with a single-parent mom who had been divorced for a number of years, and uh, we had watched her grow through that experience, and it, it, it had lasted, I don't know, like a decade. And uh, we noticed she was beginning to hang out with a guy, and so we went to her and basically said to her, would you like me to interview this guy? Mm-hmm. And she said, would you? Mm-hmm. Would you? There you go. I think there's a lot of singles, mm-hmm. uh, single-parent moms, and for that matter, single-parent dads who are vulnerable, yeah. mm-hmm. and they do need a wise counselor. And here's what she said that, that really uh, convinced me of the, what the wisdom was of what you two did, but of where she was as well. She said, I made a mistake once before. I'm not a good judge mm-hmm. of character, mm-hmm. and I can make another bad decision. Now, one of the things I appreciate about both of you guys is you're authentic and transparent and you, you're open about who you are. I, I want to know in that time following your divorce, before you started dating, you had to come face to face with some parts of your own self mm. Mm. that maybe you hadn't seen before that had to be addressed, had to be confronted. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who are in that situation, just cover that up, spackle it, mask Hmm. it, ignore it, and move on. But you guys went into the hard work. You talked about going through divorce care twice. That's part of what divorce care forces you to do is look at the ugly parts of who you are that doesn't work well in a relationship. What were those? I'm asking what those – I'm getting nosy. What were the (laughs) ugly parts you found in there? (laughs) Well, yeah, it wasn't pretty. I was married – and addiction was part of our marriage before, and I was very righteous about the way that I handled that and eager to put him down, very, very hurtful. I was going through trauma, and codependency and trauma mirror each other a lot. My uh, counselor suggested that maybe I'd want to go to a recovery meeting. And so I stepped into a 12-step group for the first time and began to see that I really do contribute to the darkness, that I am capable of great darkness. And so I started a process of humbling down. And I would say before I got into recovery, I lived a life very much in reaction to what someone else was doing. And my whole life was defined about the other person and where they are and what their, how their actions and behaviors are. I didn't have a sense of myself. And so when I got into recovery and therapy and those things, I started to just discover who am I apart from all this chaos, and I started to uh, define what I believe, what I think about things, what's my favorite movie. I couldn't even answer simple questions like that. It was all defined through what another person uh, was doing. Mm. Yeah, she did some hard work, and when my therapist met with her and then I met with her therapist, then it was revealed, hey, she hasn't just been sitting around blaming all of this 
on this other guy. And for me, Bob, I set out on a mission to let everybody know that I wasn't the bad guy. <laughs> I talked to Dennis, Dobson. I mean, anybody I could talk to, yeah, you know, I'm not the bad guy here. And so it was in counseling that I was confronted about that. And I had to come to grips with, I was a donor here. Mm. I mean, I, I had contributed, and here's how, out mm. of my insecurity, my fear, out of uh, my um, disconnection, and really no experience mm. at heart-to-heart relationship. And so, boy, that was, that was tough. And then I had to begin a forgiveness process, and my pride did not want that to happen. So it was a it was a tough battle in the beginning. What's really important here is that the the process of recovering well through the divorce meant looking in the mirror for you guys, which had to come to your aid when you started dating and looking forward into the future. In fact, I have a specific question for you, Misty, that may or may not be related to what you just said. I'm not sure. But in in the book that you guys wrote together, The Mediterranean Love Plan, you talk about the importance of attunement with one another as husband and wife. You say in the book that in the face of fear, you have a tendency to lean back towards self-protection. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I I wall up. I'm Mm. very good at barricading my heart. And as a little girl, what I learned to do when threatened, I would get bigger. Mm. I would escalate and I would just get louder and bigger. And what that earned me with my father, whom I love and adore, and he passed away about five years ago. But when I did that, what I got in return was his respect. Mm. And I was one who would go toe-to-toe with him. And so in other relationships in my life, though, it didn't earn respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just kept the cycle of escalation, and I wasn't finding resolve. With your first husband, you got righteous in the light of his addiction. I got angry. I got loud. Yeah. I put him down. I you criticized him. It wasn't my problem. Yeah. I'm not the one with an addiction. You know, why do I have to go to meetings? Just arrogant, yeah. And arrogant. so that pattern continued into that relationship. Mm-hmm. And had you not done some really hard work and been open and humble, you might have just carried that right into this marriage right. relationship. Right. Yeah, no, it's been a good humbling down, a good a good practice for me to look at my own darkness. In dating, uh, in that single mom zone dating, I... I I did things that I was shocked about myself. So I had to start coming to grips with, I've got my own sicknesses. And it just gave me so much compassion. And and in my heart, what I noticed happening was that judgment began to really decrease. I have very little judgment for any person Mm. because I know they are wounded. That person is (laughs) suffering. They're doing the best they can in a very messy world. And it takes us however long it takes us before we find answers. And for some of us, it's a really long, messy process. You've used the phrase three times. You've talked about humbling down mm-hmm. instead like, of hunkering down. Like it's humbling words. down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Dennis, I think if somebody's going to move to a place where they can pursue a healthy relationship, humbling down is an essential element there. Yeah, and, and really at the heart of uh, humbling down is being teachable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learning from God. And admitting your faults, your fears, your inadequacies, and being teachable. And that's really at the heart of a great marriage. People who haven't been divorced, people who are just trying to make their existing marriage go the distance. And I'm, I'm thinking of Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, 
where the Apostle Paul exhorts us to surrender our lives, to Mm -hmm. make our lives a living sacrifice, yielded to God. And that's what you're describing Mm -hmm. when you talk about humbling down. Mm -hmm. And it also talks about not being conformed to this world. And we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but you guys didn't sleep together when you dated. No. And and I just have to say, I've just got a concern within the Christian community that our standards are more of a reflection of the world than they are of the Bible. And we really need to protect one another in this dating relationship. And you've got a lot to learn, I believe, in how Steve and Misty handle this relationship. And I would hope everybody who's listening today is either already planning to be a part of the Blended and Blessed live stream event that's coming up on Saturday, April 21st, or if you're not planning to already, you make plans today, this is something you can do in your living room in your local church, or if you live near Charlotte, North Carolina, you can come join us at the site where the uh, Blended and Blessed live stream is going to be happening. Ron Deal will be there. Stephen Misty Arterburn will be joining us. Bill Butterworth, Dr. Rick Rigsby, Michelle Cushat. There's more information at familylifetoday.com. You can find out where a Blended and Blessed event is happening in a city near where you live, or you can sign up to host one of these events, again, in your home or your church. Go to familylifetoday.com and plan to be a part of the 2018 Blended and Blessed one-day live stream event coming up on Saturday, April 21st. And if you're looking for help today for yourself or for someone you know who is a part of a blended family, we've got copies of resources that Ron Deal has created, books and articles all available at familylifetoday.com. So you might want to check those out as well. Again, the website familylifetoday.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY if you'd like to order any of the books or if you have any questions about the upcoming Blended and Blessed One Day event. Let me also mention we've been talking this week about Family Life's Art of Parenting video series that is being released on May 1st, and Ron Deal is a contributor to that series. And I think, Dennis, he offers the viewers... Uh, some insights into the challenges that blended families face. We wanted to make sure as we created the art of parenting, we were addressing some of the unique challenges blended families face as part of the video series. So, again, if you'd like more information about Family Life's Art of Parenting video series, it's going to be released on May 1st. It's great for small groups or for classes in your local church, or it's great to invite other families into your home, have a potluck, and then watch the video and answer the questions. It's pretty easy. Plug and play. You don't have to be a a leader or a teacher. You just have to want to be a good parent to be able to use Uh, Family Life's Art of Parenting video series. So again, find out more at familylifetoday.com. Now this weekend, we have eight Family Life uh, Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaways happening from coast to coast, from Washington, D.C., all the way to Seattle. And among those who will be attending this weekend will be pastors and their spouses. For years, we have scholarship pastors and spouses to the Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway. We've made sure that the registration fees are covered, and we've been able to do that because donors like you have contributed to the scholarship fund so that pastors and spouses could be at a Weekend to Remember registration free. I wanted to make sure you knew that so you could invite your pastor to uh, attend a getaway, knowing that the cost is covered. But I also wanted to let you know that our scholarship fund is starting to deplete. So if you'd like to help send 
uh, a pastor, a couple to a weekend remember marriage getaway, if you'd like to help cover the cost, you can make a contribution today to the Family Life Pastor Scholarship Fund, and those funds will go directly toward covering the cost for pastors and spouses to be at a getaway. You can donate online at familylifetoday.com, or you can call to donate, 1-800-FL-TODAY. Make your contribution to the Pastor's Scholarship Fund, and those funds will be designated for that. Or if you just want to contribute to the ongoing work of Family Life and the cost of producing and syndicating this daily radio program, you can always donate online at familylifetoday.com or call to donate 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. And we appreciate your generosity. Thanks for partnering with us in this ministry. And we hope you're back with us tomorrow. Ron Deal will be here along with Steve and Misty Arterburn. We'll continue talking about being a step-parent and the challenges that go along with that. Hope you can tune in. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.